We are two bold music education experts and longtime teaching partners from Seattle. We're famous for our out-of-the-box approaches. We're known for identifying and dismantling old, worn-out structures that no longer serve us, and we're celebrated for taking time to laugh out loud at the funny, funny stuff we observe in the biz. The Beth and Kelly Show seeks fellow change agents connected to music, education, and music education to join us in spontaneous conversational journeys that unearth revolutionary ideas for music education's next iteration. Jump in with the Beth and Kelly Show and join the coalition. Orlando Morales is here, um, and we're going to talk about teaching stuff. Pretty excited. Wait, that what? In, um, in three seasons, he is the first person to ever sibilance us. Yes. And that uh, means a lot. That means a lot. That really means a lot. Uh, sibilance sibilance on a mic check is the beth and kelly shows trademark <laughs> brought to you from saturday night live obviously yes and uh that's good old fun times right there to be had well it's it's, it's a big hit at the theater too to oh really okay we used to I do it that, at- i knew that kelly and i were always in some ways cut out for the theater i mean whether it's like the stand-up stage or that kind of a thing yeah mm-hmm. i think there's some money in that i mean we might want to consider it kelly so well i i do want orlando to introduce himself but first i want to say um because i can't wait <laughs> that um you know the beth and kelly show we're able to now call ourselves music education pundits which is yeah. really funny because our dream is to like um mystery science theater 3000 meets like sports announcers yes, yes. at yes. jazz festivals we want to do this oh yeah yeah we want so to be like okay folks play by play shell course shell course is coming yeah. yes Yes. Oh, we've lost a mute. You know, (laughs) we need to do this. So to anybody out there that's listening, Mm -hmm. hire us. We want to do this. It'll be funny. We can promise that. (laughs) We would love to do this. So just please reach out. Oh, man. Anyway. Orlando. I can see it. You post up at the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival and just yes. sit in the back of, of that, yes. that horrible, like, what, yes. that huge, now the people in Idaho are going to come after me. The Kibbe Dome. The, the Kibbe Dome. Dome. Scariest place to play jazz. We will the back ever. of the Kibbe Dome. But before that, we will be at one of the various Mormon, uh, Mormon church gyms. For the all-day play. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll do a play-by-play of the, that room. Yeah. And then we'll take it to the Kibby Dome. We'll take it to the Kibby. <laughs> we'll be like the two announcers that used to do that that festival. That yeah. They were like twin brothers. And right. They were like the MC of that festival. Right. But we're not going to be the MCs. We're going to be in the back talking about the MCs and seeing. Yes. And about, you know, all the other stuff going on (laughs) the things happening that are hilarious oh man just let me know what i can do to support you thank you put the power of the fifth avenue theater behind 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell us about yourself and and your work and everything. We want to sure. know everything. I I mean you know to a lifetime, but you know, yeah. in the time that we have, yeah, I thanks for having me on the show. I, yeah. I really didn't expect this to be happening on a on this Friday, but I'm glad it was because uh, I had some time to do it. So <laughs> and y'all seem like really great people. Um, mm -hmm. As you said, my name is Orlando Morales. I currently am the Associate Artistic Director, colon, Community Engagement at the Fifth Avenue Theater. Um, it's a long job title, which just seems to entail a lot of spreadsheets. No, it, it actually <laughs> means that I get to um, kind of really think about how the things that we're doing up on our stage uh, are uh, meeting the needs of our uh, our community and the people who are around us and in, in, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so our community at large, but also um, communities that have been historically uh, ignored or disrespected or left out of the conversation by um, major arts institu institutions like ourselves in the past. So um, I'd like to think I'm part of a, a changing tide. Uh, I also know there's a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. um and uh, it's probably a lot of your your longtime listeners slash viewers asking me well, so what is this like theater guy doing on your podcast but my background I got I came into the theater as a professional musician <laughs> which is my weird like convoluted path to this but I actually yeah I was um you know one of those jazz kids jazz band kids growing up here in the Pacific Northwest started playing kind of professionally when I was in my senior year of high school, playing piano, and then found my way into playing in pit orchestras. And That's that a got, great gig yeah. for a piano player. Holy got me boy. into the union, yeah. And like, it was month. like I played for my college books, um, but I kept doing the jazz thing throughout. I, I picked up a lot of casuals around town in college and that kept me in the scene a bit. Um, and uh, I studied jazz at, at University of Washington while I was getting my teaching degree. Um, so yeah, I, I got a, I actually got a teaching degree and a master's in teaching in um, language arts, <laughs> secondary, <laughs> right through 12. And so I had, you know, my eyes on being like a language arts teacher um, and got my degree and was ready to get hired once the recession hit in 20, uh, 2008. Had a friend that was working here at the Fifth Avenue Theater. It's like, well, you're a teacher. We need somebody in our you know, none of the school districts are hiring, but we could use somebody in our education department. And apparently, you know, awesome. do stuff. So I started what a there. Cool and I way kinda, to get into yeah, like a very unique, like you have a very unique skill set to be able to create major change, but with, um, you know, actual pedagogy behind it. I love this. I love yeah. this also, Orlando, because there are a literal ton of teachers out there that are kind of like me where um, they went ahead and decided they weren't going to be returning to the public school classroom. And it like gives me hope right now that people with the type of degree that I have, yes, my degree is in music ed, um, but I have a teacher certificate and, you know, all of those different credentials um that there is work for people in that nonprofit sector and it is still aligned it is still education aligned and arts aligned mm -hmm. and you still have the chance to make shockwaves in the community and like really really reach out and touch people mm -hmm. and um 
I think like just right there, we had to pause and just like recognize this because mm-hmm. we're oh, not yeah. stuck. We're not stuck, folks. If we want to leave, we can. And there are ways that we can still be extremely impactful. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's an option. Totally. totally. It's cool. Like, I want to know um, what what like what are you doing at the fifth avenue to connect with community what does that look like in the theater world because i don't really know beyond you know things happening like having a black little mermaid and (laughs) um you know changing lyrics or just getting rid of songs that are racist you know the those things that i think you know are just in in culture that we're all talking about but i imagine there's a whole host of other stuff that you're doing i'd love to know about it i imagine there's a ton of crossover into music teaching oh definitely yeah i mean and we can talk a little bit more about that uh, that crossover because it's it's something that continues to bring me gigs and asks that I, I i totally don't expect sometimes but like just to answer your first question about like what is the fifth doing right now i think we are like other a lot of other major regional um institutions in being in a time of like really like re-examining how we do things fundamentally. So glad you're doing that because there are a lot of orgs that aren't. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I know that a lot, part of it is like, yes, we need to do this work. We, there's a there's a, a moral, you know, imperative here, but there's also like, we are a, um, an organization whose mission, it's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to serve the people. And mm-hmm. so, if we're in the middle of a um, an awakening around the world in the country that is helping us um, clear pathways towards progressive change that will allow us to live more within that mission, then we need to be doing that work. It's kind of that thing of like more perfect union too. It's like, it's there. It's always been there in the mission, but like, if we're really gonna walk the walk and talk the talk, what does that mean? That means, you know, putting people of color and women and um, non-binary folks in positions of power um, and not just like administrative positions of power, but also because of what we do, we are a musical theater company. That means that creative leadership also needs to reflect those values because I think we've gotten away in, in the past, many organizations would be like, well, look, we got a, we have a Filipino director of education. I'm not calling out the fifth in any way, but like, you know, like you can put, it's easier to put, I think, diversity in some places, you know, finance and stuff like that and kind of get the numbers up. But then when, when you're putting up on a stage, what's being reflected back into the community, um, it doesn't have uh, the cultural proficiency or, or the viewpoints of, of the folks that are coming into it. That's a problem. And so that's something that we're, you know, it's a multi, um, multifaceted problem too. It's it has to do with capitalism. It has to do with um, gentrification and geographies of like where people are in Seattle and who has access to what, and busing and how who can get to the theater. It's like very complicated in some ways. But I know what the goal is at least for me, and the goal is very much tied to um, an understanding of the arts and an understanding of music and theater specifically that kind of got handed down to me from 
Okay, so I'm gonna get a little deep if that's okay. So my parents, <laughs> so my parents are from the Philippines. <clears throat> my grandparents too, and like my understanding of music and, and performance growing up was very heavily influenced by like how they talked about how things were back home, you know. Um, but I was born here. I grew up here. Um, very Americanized. But my grandfather, who's a jazz musician, like he was in a big band in the Philippines. He was. Um, that was his primary profession. He went to music school and that that's kind of, so as an Asian American Pacific Islander, I'm a little bit in the like minority there in that my family actually, you know, like not just did it, you know, as a way to, you know, um, kind of be a, a more rounded student, but actually pursued it, you know, professionally. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather was a musician. And so we kind of had that uh, in our family lore. Um, but we also came from a really small town. In, in the Philippines. And so every year they would do a musical. They call it a sasuela, but it's basically a musical, right? Mm -hmm. And so everybody would be involved, the school teachers and the band, and it would be written by the townsfolk and they'd all put it up and everybody got together in the town plaza and they did it. And then they talked about it forever afterwards. <laughs> they still talk about it to this day. But right. it was one of those things that like, I don't know, if you're gonna get really like sociological on it, it's created cultural, um, social capital you know it was a way for people to come together um cross intergenerationally um the different aspect like people from the barrio or the cup like the, the out, outskirts would come in and so it created it created intersection of, of people and so that is what i understand to be the power of theater right especially musical theater because you know with theater you could you know maybe do something with a couple actors in a bucket and an American flag and they call it good. Musical theater, you kind of introduce like musicians and dance and like, so in a strange way too, like the way that we, the, even the, narrow, the, the, the narrative that we used to describe musical theater when I came in was I think very westernized and that is like, it brings these different disciplines together in one storytelling thing. <laughs> but if you look at like traditional cultures, like we never separated them out. It's right, like you're right. gonna tell a story. You're always like, of course, you gotta dance, you gotta sing, like you do everything you want to get you know people to emotionally engage with the story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of interesting like quirk of of Western culture that I see. So it's like these things are different, and we're really special for putting them back together in America. But I'm like, actually, <laughs> you know, that is so yeah. interesting. I have never thought about it in that way. I. As you both know, I play in a banda every weekend and something that I find to be especially um, amazing and unique, but it's not unique <laughs> to that, but it is when you're a white lady from Seattle, it feels unique to me. Um, this feeling of grandma all the way down to, you know, great grandbabies, all dancing and singing mm -hmm. to the same music, dancing and singing to the same music at an event and just having food and, and having creating a time to talk about later. Um, but that it all revolves around this, um, experience and there's music and there's dancing and there's food and the music has important stories you know it's it's like it's like the the book of mexico like great legends and lore like those are the lyrics and and they and they're beautiful and and celebrated 
by kids who don't maybe listen to that music on the radio or like when they're doing their homework but when but they're at a party like they, a they're involved they're totally invested so a lot of my and and that's also part of the jazz tradition so i in my work sort of take those two things and try and think about how do we get away from um this overly academic way of teaching music where we've separated out um the arts from each other you know what i'm noticing too Uh is and i just want to like pause and also say like something you said orlando where you were like yeah america felt real special for like saying that they threw it all back together (laughs) and like created something new right whereas they 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 think they've created something new but they did not they like appropriated Mm. from other cultures and it's it's interesting to me that you know uh we tend to take ownership of things and just like then put it like on a stage and put it on a pedestal and make it really high and mighty and then make it academic and then then it's ruined. making it wider <laughs> i think that that was like a I mean, if I look back on my own music education, I'm really thankful for like the teachers that worked with me and the things that I learned. And I learned how to read and I became a sight reader and that was, I was able to like get gigs for my sight reading. But there was a period when like, I mean, I grew up playing in church. I, I will say like most of what I know now comes from, uh, you know, playing in church as starting at a very young age. Cause my parents were like, you better play in church cause God gave you that gift and you can give it back yeah. to you. And, but Which like also- largely an oral tradition. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also yeah. like strangeness of Seattle, like the Filipino and black communities like ge- geographically are kind of like were, or at least were, not gentrification, it's different, but like have like roots in the same areas. And so like, to this day, I go to like a, a historically black Catholic church and I play gospel music. And so like, that was kind of like, so when I came into the, middle school music scene I was playing clarinet but I'd be messing around with my friends with the piano and playing stuff from church or the radio or some R&B stuff and and the the band teacher's like oh you should be a jazz band because you know like and so it was this process of kind of like oh I gotta learn how to play jazz you know the way that they're doing it but then coming back around and be like wait this is a rootless voicing that I've always been playing you know Mm -hmm. or like some of these tenants like are actually you already I'm knew re- it. Yeah, yeah, but I'm like relearning them in a weird way that was intimidating to me in some, you know, sense. It's like, it's, it was, it's I just, and the other thing that I've well, not good enough for your own the, shit. <laughs> well, but the, the, the music for me existed in, I'm kind of like a frere, you know, Paulo Freire nerd, um, but there's this concept he's like, we, at least for language arts, it's like um, reading the word is preceded by reading the world. And then reading the word, you know, implies that you're continuously re-reading re, the world. Anyways, but saying that, like, so in music, for me at least, like, there was a thing that I was doing with music that exist, pre-existed whatever, the, like, the academic thing. So it was influenced, like, my understanding of what the purpose of music was, was influenced by, I guess what you, some people would slice as, like, as pragmatic, you know, because if you're playing in church, 
what you're trying to do is get an emotional you're like in a ritualistic way yeah. trying to elevate the people mm -hmm. so it's not less about me expressing myself and more about me doing things to get a specific response mm. from the people and th that's a very like clinical way to look at it like I think if I like in my more spiritual language be like well I'm trying to get people to feel the spirit you know yeah. and there are yeah. things that you do you you modulate upwards you know several times if they're not Take there it up yet, a notch. Yeah. you add variations you know right. you you reharmonize on the fly mm -hmm. you know to get people to to engage because you know that's that's what you're fighting the the te the, the the tendency for people to want to like their minds to wander mm -hmm. and so i think as a music i'm not a music educator but i would think that one of my biggest struggles would be if I'm coming from that understanding, and then we have students that are coming in, kind of like where music is a very academic thing, which I yeah. think is, you know, could be a legitimate way to be into it too. Then like having to, how do you teach the cultural value or like that in the wild, in the real world, music can be used to do this. And in fact, a lot of the things that we're teaching have their roots in some kind of ritualistic, pragmatic, you know, purposeful tradition mm -hmm. and teaching it outside of that tradition is one challenging but also like i don't know there's a lot of things that i think to, to there's a lot about. to unpack there i like was having a conversation with someone yesterday we had like a hour and a half long conversation kind of about the same exact thing and what at the conclusion we came to was school music is contrived it's Word. fake man it's fake and like what are we going to do about that because I just like, I just wish that we would understand that, like, what can we do to move to a more real manner in school music? I mean, what can we do? What well, can I we sure do? as hell am trying to work on it over at Jazz Ed. Yeah. Like, I continue to boot back to this, this concept, which is how can I, and it's going to sound ludicrous when I say this out loud. But how can I institutionalize soulfulness? Yeah. And like a soulful way of learning. Because what our teachers and our institutions are asking for is a recipe. <laughs> which is, them. Yeah, yeah. Which is like not how it's <laughs> like the opposite of the soulfulness. But maybe there's a way to cook up a new idea. Um, and like remove as many access barriers as possible, create a repertoire that, and a way of learning that's mm, removes as much academic thought as possible, situates learners of various ages, ages with each other um, to create more of a celebratory encompassing type of community. Tradition. Yeah, <laughs> and how, what would that look like? And uh, you know, I I am I'm gonna say right now I'm going out on a limb. <laughs> those of you, you two wonderful music educators that 
have shifted on over into the nonprofit sector. <laughs> I am going to just go ahead and say that you will both play a humongous role in if music education is able to do this. My theory is that we need to start bringing the community in at all costs to the public school classroom. That is the only way we're going to make this real. That's the only way that we're going to change it from contrived to authentic. Um, we've got to be doing more real courageous partnerships with the nonprofit sector, the performing arts sector, the place that the places where the real artists do their thing. And it's gotta be your mute, your sound just went off at a really important moment. I know. You like it's gotta you be like, you like booped your microphone in a hair whip and we lost you. But you were saying some shit. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, yes, you're back. Okay, good. Last time it like turned off for like 30 seconds. Ah. I have to cut it out and post. I know, I know. But, but what I'm saying is like, we're at a critical moment here. And I'm telling you two and everybody else that is employed by performing arts nonprofits that the way to, to fix this is by y'all getting into that, that the public schools, um, no matter how you, however, however you can just do it. And you know, there's going to be red tape, find a way to cut it. There's mm -hmm. going to be roadblocks, find a way to get around them. Yeah. You know, just like find ways, there's going to be bureaucracy, Find a way to ignore it and just do it. And mm. um, it's like, because schools aren't going to have the money to pay. They're not going to be able to pay you. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and so teachers who don't have money will sit there for years thinking that they are going to be able to handle this themselves. And in so doing, everything is just flatlined and it's mm -hmm. not going to be, it's not going to be a, this living, breathing, wonderful community, folk life, um, life-changing. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to go there. Let's go there right now. We're going to swerve in that direction, which is, <clears throat> and I want to take it back historically to the Beth and Kelly of 15 years ago. Okay. The Beth and Kelly of 15 years ago, if you told us that we had to go to a back to school training that was hosted by a community arts organization, we both would have been hella pissed off we would have been like coffee in the morning like i can't believe this artiste thinks they're gonna tell yeah. us how we can do how better in our classrooms and uh you know like i can't do it myself i know those feelings i have had those feelings yes i they're mean i have shifted i have shifted yes. from those feelings i Same. will always 
very deeply entrenched in them. Same, but they still prickle up for me at a couple of key moments. And I think those are the things to look at because they're probably what lingers for other people too, Mm. which is one, there's a real problem sometimes with like artists and an inability to teach. And I, that is, I think the thing that continues to be scary it might be the only lingering other than like money but all of these orgs have somewhere in their mission statement to do some sort of community outreach so there is someone in your community to partner with but then you still bump up against this fear that they're gonna send some fancy pantsy yahoo into my class they're not gonna know how to talk to kids my kids are going to be jerks. I'm going to be managing them a whole time. Nothing's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, real though, Kelly. Yes. Like, maybe mm-hmm. these nonprofit orgs can also provide some trainings for classroom teachers all about artist interface. Yeah. Which just segues into Orlando's side hustle, bro. Well, it's like the other side. He's working with the artists. Well, okay. Beth well, and I want to work with the teachers on how to interface. Yeah. Yes. Well, here's, okay. So I have, uh, there's, there's two things, thoughts that I have that relate to things um, in practice. Yeah. And this is all in like the exercise of like, okay, imagining what this, what does this look like for, for music? Because again, my back, at least professional background here and the things that I've tried and experimented it are, are in fear. So I'll talk about one, like, I've definitely been in situations where, you know, I've been invited into a classroom or somehow ended up into a classroom. And like, it's not something that my teaching artists or other staff are prepared for, or that the prep class has been prepped for, or even that the teacher is like on board for, yeah. you know, it's just because like, oh, the NEA's in town or something like, so I've definitely been in those situations. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the spectrum, for instance, we have an amazing partnership with the Kent School District. And I'll bring this up as a way to like pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> this is like a thing that I, to this day, I'm like, how did this, this is, when we talk about community engagement and people coming to the table on equal terms with like, really to serve like the needs of teachers like how can nonprofits do that in an authentic way this was an example of like how this happened is that we there were you know there's a certain time when we elected an official that you know was in in the white house and somehow this was leading to rashes of um like racist behavior even in the public school system among students right and the kent school district a, a school in particular was struggling with this and they wanted to do something with their Martin Luther King assembly. There was also complaints from uh, black and brown students that their Martin Luther King assembly was not really about anything. <laughs> it was kind of about like um, empty words and, and mm-hmm. historical images and less about like, hey, we need to be kind to each other. We need to fight for social justice. And that's what they wanted. So that, that particular school, and this is how it coincidentally landed on my desk, um, went to the drama teacher. And I don't know what stroke of genius, but they're like, a lot of kids respect you. Can you take on the Martin Luther King Assembly? And that teacher was like, I don't know anything really. About, I mean, I know what I would like to do, but we need to bring in. So it sounds like what they need, we need here is to change hearts and minds. 
and they came to us as an organization that's kind of that's within our like we bring 2000 people every night and right. kind of through the magic of musicals use manipulate people's understandings of the world and like there's a lot of people that can like kind of poo-poo musicals and and like but I always turn it back about like okay but did you watch a musical about a mermaid that kind of made you a little bit more open to like the the experiences of trans species people and could that that emotional understanding be transferable to your understanding of like other actual humans who might feel like they were born into the wrong string so is that kind of game that I feel like we play in musical theater it's like there is something that we're trying to make you do and you may not realize that it's happening to you and that's that's the true potential of what we do so anyways they come to us and say like well what can we do with um our Martin Luther King assembly I was like yeah let's use art let's use music and clear narrative and like emotional action arcs to get people to to kind of whatever these students want want them to understand and then the next step being oh well it feels like this wants to center black culture is anybody in this building like remotely prepared to do that to teach gospel music basically Mm -hmm. the answer is no so what do we do we're in kent there are black churches all over the place So let's go to the community for expertise. Yes. And then so now five years later, it started with one school, right? In one assembly. And now it's all four high schools. It traveled before COVID, it would travel around that that assembly would perform like nine times for all of the seniors and then the middle school kids. So like it grew into this big thing because everybody saw the value in bringing people together. They want it for their school. Yeah. Yeah, And so, and I do know along the way, there was that kind of trepidation of like, well, I'm the arts teacher here, Mm -hmm. but there's that authentic, like, but am I qualified to teach people how to do gospel music in the way that it is done? Some of these students go to church on Sunday and they learn it. This, you know, there's no music. I'll speak from my church. There's no, there's no sheet music. Mm -hmm. It's all by ear. You Mm -hmm. know, it's taught in a way that is almost 180 degrees different than how I learned things when I was, you know, going through the public school system and and music classes. And so, but that's also how you, it goes to that question of like, when you were talking about, well, I want to institutionalize or like the the, Mm -hmm. the soulfulness. Mm -hmm. A lot of my questions around that were like, what is soul? You know, I know what it is. It's like, you know, like that thing. It's like, I know what it is, but you know, I could only when I see it, you know, it's like, (laughs) but I think part of soulfulness is like being connected to the cultural practice Mm -hmm. and understanding, understanding the craft and being able to connect the craft and the contours of the idiomatic musical things that you are doing to the it may be the original purpose or maybe even the potential purpose of what you're doing mm-hmm. all that to say is like you know like when we have a kid that's doing like put some melisma in the right place yes i'm using look at that i'm using the the italian i'm <laughs> white culture good. <laughs> puts, puts a soul roll right yeah. or like options up or or you know goes off on the notes a little vibrat yeah, yeah. Like of a, yeah, of the hymn, they alter the note of, of this melody that everybody knows to get people to respond in a certain mm-hmm. way. And we call that soul, mm-hmm. right? Because they're connected to, it's, is it intentionality? You know, is it, is it a grounding? They're feeling a thing and now I'm feeling a thing because right. they're feeling a thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all that to say, I'm sorry, I brought that up. This is, Love. we went in all sorts of directions, but that is kind of like an example of that community engagement of like, yeah. if teachers, you know, like if we're really looking to, okay, so the other half of it this can is, go so right. That's yeah, why three, we all do this work. Three or four weeks ago, I was invited to do, I think this is why you brought it up because I told you I was invited to do a training for K through five music uh, teachers in Seattle public schools. It was mm-hmm. part of their, through creative advantage, which I think, you know, is, is trying to look at what does it look like to bring in community partners to do some of this mm-hmm. work. One of the things I did is I brought in a prop. I brought in a prop of a, a um, we call it a goal. It's from Filipino, um, uh, kind of more uh, indigenous culture. It's like gamelan type music in the Philippines. Okay. But we always had that in our house. And I remember in elementary school bringing it into a music class, like for show and tell or something like that. And my teacher being like, I have never seen one of those in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And just like bringing that as an example of like, you don't know what, if I hadn't brought that in that one day, mm-hmm. my, the musical culture, the richness of my understanding of music is totally invisible to you. Mm-hmm. You don't know mm-hmm. what it is. And I was a quiet kid. Like I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're, you have so much power as a music teacher when they come in to be like, this is, this is um, um, Ode to Joy. It is an important song. Everybody's going to learn Ode to Joy. Beethoven is super important. We'll and just really start to erase song, the, sure. <laughs> well, yeah, but also just like, even with jazz, like even with jazz music, like saying, I think, because I think we've adopted that as kind of like a, a core kind of repertoire, but also we're in Seattle, or if you're teaching in the 98118, all those kids coming in with their own rich musical, you know, histories potentially, and understanding that you have the power to, I mean, I don't want to use this metaphor, but I think it's like apropos in some ways of putting your, your, your knee on the neck of, of culture, of musical, mm-hmm. um, of musical traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, and how do you allow those things to all breathe in one mm-hmm. place? Oh, it's yeah. Tricky. I mean, back to the idea of what can arts nonprofits do to help classroom teachers. I think another type of ongoing training and support would be how do you authentically get from your students this um, willingness to share these aspects of themselves? Because it has a lot to do, honestly, with building of climate in your classroom. Does the student feel safe being themselves or do they have to be someone different when they come and do the thing in your classroom, which is not like anything else because it's contrived. And it's like, how do we build a climate, a culture in our classroom where A, students would feel safe enough revealing these really, really deep and honored aspects of themselves without fearing that someone is going to discount them for bringing that into the picture. Mm -hmm. How do do we then as educators, if we establish that type of environment, how do we then make it so that we can, in a culturally responsive manner, Mm. Um, have have a musical experience um, in that type of music with that student, you know, and them guiding the experience. How do we as educators, artists interface with our own students and their mm-hmm. traditions, you know? 
You said you said one of my favorite phrases, which is culturally responsive, and I thought I had the Zarita Hammond. Oh right, yeah. That, but I think I think I lent it to it. I was about to pull it out and be like, culturally, I've yeah. been really like uh, one of the other things that I'm doing right now, um, which I didn't realize I was gonna like as much. And if people are watching it, please please realize I did I do like this doing this, and it's come to be a really big part of my life. But um, um, working uh, in a program that's sponsored by the the Office of the Superintendent for Public Instruction um, with Artois. Um, that is administered through Pacific Northwest Ballet, but it's, it's, a, it's a program that's been around for, for years. Uh, it's called the Teaching Artist Training Lab. Um, and so I work with um, teachers in all sorts of disciplines, but most of them are, are um, either classroom teachers now, or they uh, are freelance teaching artists who go into classrooms to, to teach students. And um, I mean, there's a whole aspect to this program, this year long program where we help, I, I see it as you help, these artists kind of start to either code switch if they're kind of mm -hmm. if they're established teachers but they need help um aligning or describing what they do through the lens and language of uh standards and learning plans and formative assessments um and so that's kind of fun too because like you get to work with teachers who i could use they that know class. what they're doing but <laughs> you know, but it's thing is like like because i think Kelly, you and I have that similar kind of chip on our shoulder. We were like, we know, you can't, what we do cannot be captured. You can't even write jazz down using staves. And, you know, so how do you expect me to capture the, everything I do in like learning? But, but there's, yeah, there's purposes. And I think one of the things now that's is That's a like real just, feeling I have. But if you look at, and so, yes, I think that's valid. But also in this, the work that we do with this group is like, part of the checklist of, of getting a strong learning plan together is like, okay, well, what measures are you taking to make sure that you have a culturally responsive classroom? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. What does it look like? Do you, are you prepared to, I mean, good teachers are always prepared to, to make accommodations and, and to make adjustments along the way. But I think it's really key for, you know, people who may be just starting out or again, our, our artists who are, starting to move over to the academic world to do a little bit of pre-planning beforehand. Yes. Like, so what does this look like if a student has a hard time reading notes on a page, you know, or if we have different, you know, modalities that are needed by students to understand what I'm trying to. So it's like, that's that for a lot of people, that's new information. And I think that's good. But that focus on culturally responsive teaching, on socio-emotional learning, I think is something that is especially hard for music teachers yes. to kind of start to like wrap especially their head around what that looks like. Teachers, right? Yes, and it's mm -hmm. both fascinating and frustrating, but also like I know why. <laughs> like I, at least emotionally, like I can see myself being in that position of like I don't have time for this. I don't. You okay, are, that's. I gotta, I, we gotta learn the, we gotta learn the Debussy. next week and the third movement. Totally. I can we have time for community it. agreements. They're mm -hmm. not even going to be talking to each other. They gotta like play the damn music. I don't know. I'm just, well, I'm, you know, oversimplifying. I mean, for me, it's like when I, when I observe that type of behavior in the public school, especially secondary, especially high school, um especially band especially yeah concert band jazz band ensemble strand um mm -hmm. if you are 
doing what is quote unquote expected of you as an instrumental music teacher, especially band when of course you also have to do all the football and basketball, um, you know, orchestra, you have to go to thus and so competition where you have to play thus and so Western art music, jazz band, hey, Kelly and I, we want to be pundits at your jazz festival, but I, be there. Like, I, I, I question like these like competitional tournament style things where we're judging students based on a Western art music setup and how well they execute it, even with jazz band people. I would, Especially I would, with jazz band people. I would say it's a Western art music setup, the way it, it they try and to And it's make not it. a football game, bros. It's not like how many... You know? I just had, I, okay, I just had a throwback memory, which I've not thought about in years. And it's yeah. the tape that I got, <laughs> that I took home with me from the, the Mount Hood Jazz Band Festival. Yes. Because one, it's like, there was a play-by-play. -play. It was my yeah. adjudicator. It was yeah. me, he was being like, oh yeah, way to, way to nail those changes. Or like, oh, good solo there. Or like, mm, you know, we're like, yeah. so it's kind of funny. Like they're thinking about that, like, oh, you judged me on like my, it's like, okay, so here's my heretical question then right it's like okay so fundamentally we've had this structure we have a system and this is what we've, we've put our whole like music education we've hung it all on on this idea or like I'm, I'm actually i'm wondering what what the idea is are we hanging yeah, I know. on on the this uh, this idea of whatever of it is we've put all it's gotta go whatever right. it is but, bye bye now so like but like so like when i go back to thinking about my grandparents right mm -hmm. There are two things. So the purpose of why we're teaching students, like, and I, we're kind of doing this in theater right now too. It's like, okay, so why are we teaching theater students? Why are we teaching music to students? Are we, okay, there's one that I do kind of believe, which is like actual, um, like career path training, right? There are some students like myself, yes, that could, it could be a, a valid career path for them. And then it's in that sense- rare. If they're gonna, yeah, but that's the thing, it, you know, and if they're gonna be recording, if they're gonna be playing in the Fifth Avenue Theater Pit or the Village Theater Pit, they gotta be able to nail the changes or they gotta be able to nail the, the thing, at I least on the second time around, stuff. Yes. right? And maybe that's problematic in itself too, but, um, but that's the professional world, right? And so, but then the other thing is like, okay, but for the rest of the kids, why are they learning music? Are they learning, I remember, so my grandfather would be like, you know, it's great what you're doing in school and it's great when you're that you are like you know in playing these musicals and stuff like that um but oh i remember this because i think i had mentioned like somebody asked me to play at a funeral and i was like i'm, I'm kind of too busy but like i didn't want to do it and then somebody was like well okay but think about this like in the philippines that's why we existed mm. so when yeah. somebody died somebody got married celebrations we were there and that we had the skills to be able to go there and serve that serve sure. the community that way mm -hmm. so there's that but then the third thing is like at least for theater it's the bigger question and say are we teaching theater so that kids know how to sing and dance or and like do be able to do into the woods and sondheim accurately or are we actually teaching theater because it's a collaborative thing and we're actually trying to teach 
kids how to collaborate. And we have this too in artistic lens and there could be those layers. Similarly, I've thought is like the reason that we're teaching jazz, actually like teaching democracy, <laughs> you know? Like teaching how, like, is that the actual thing that we're trying to accomplish in the class or should that be? Because like, I think there's a potential there, you know? And that's, that's not a new, that's like Cornel West and Michelle Obama have said stuff about like- And Winton, Winton yeah. gave exactly. up about but like, that. But then there's it's like- There's a lot of potential. There's a yeah. lot. And you know, when I think about the <clears throat> fact that, you know, part of your job is that you help people think in standards because for people who don't know in Washington <laughs> state, the teacher evaluation system actually requires you to connect to standards. Um, so I think about the fact that the arts standards, which rolled out in 2014, are fully entrenched in the artistic process. They are the artistic process, the four pillars of the artistic process, creating, responding, performing and connecting mm -hmm. and yet and yet we still haven't changed our practice our practices yeah. or our curriculum to actually even be able to address the standard in a real authentic way yeah and so, isn't that crazy yeah i mean you might be sitting there sometimes going okay i am trying to squeeze some blood out of a turnip here because the only thing that's happening in so many classrooms is performance this and performance that. We're not doing any, maybe in theater they're doing more creating, but in music we're not doing any, hardly any creating. Yes, yeah. I'm sure there's someone listening right now that's like, well, I did a composition project last year. Good for you. You're like 0.1%. But if, even if we're thinking about like, if those are the four pillars by creating, performing, yeah. responding, connecting, do, doesn't that, shouldn't our like unit planning maybe be like 25% of each? Maybe? Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. And like, and it exactly. seems like all three of the other standards get pushed off into the totally. last 10 minutes of class. Yeah. And yeah. there is no emphasis put on it, no importance put on it no training in how to teach it. Um, and the whole connecting piece, that is everything Mom. you're talking about, Orlando, about your life. It's everything that you are talking about, about what music means to you as a human. And it's, it's, the, it's the, I believe it's the thing that's going to, this is gonna be very Pollyanna, but of all of those pillars, right? The thing yeah. that's gonna be transferred, you know, most utilized by those students in the future to transform them into like civic-minded, participating, yes. you know, democratic participants in our in our society is that connecting part. It's, you know, it's like what part. what are, what are they going to walk away with in twenty years? I don't remember, you know, the the um, oh my gosh, now see, I can't even remember. But like you know, the band. Um, I was third chair in Wind Ensemble for, for so many years. I don't remember any of that, that repertoire. No. And I was ready, so ready to like rattle off like the thing that we used to play all the time. Um, but like to this day, I can't like, it's yeah. not on the tip of my tongue at all. Okay, but, you guys. Yeah. Oh my God. I am 
<clears throat> maybe going to use this term that my daughter has been trying to teach me to use properly and I never use properly. I think I'm going to use it properly right now because I just had an idea. I, I might have a hot take. Okay. <laughs> I use hot take wrong, but I think I'm about to use it right. Here's okay. a hot take. Are the vast majority of music teachers, secondary music teachers, especially the folks who happen to be the top readers, um, so therefore valued as like the quote unquote best musicians in their program. In other words, we're very served by this way of teaching and then thought, I want more people to flourish in school for being an awesome A plus award-winning trumpet player. So I'm gonna teach band like the way I learned it and worked for me. And now we've sort of, um, inbred ourselves into a very specific way of teaching music that serves a very specific type of learner who happens to generally be a white dude. And we just sort of keep doing this self-fulfilling. Let's put some more, let's put some more trophies on it. Let's, let's just make it sports a little bit more. Yeah. And sidebar other hot take, um, <laughs> programs where that wasn't what was happening that I can think of just in Seattle, like where the teacher wasn't that, that dude, those are, um, those are schools where there are hundreds of musicians still playing around town. There are certain schools, Roosevelt's one of them, where there are just hella former Roosevelt music students, not just jazz students, like, you know, third clarinet and concert bands still making music around yeah. the city in some way. You don't see that from all of the other schools. And I wonder if it has something to do with the values of the teacher, how they feel about connecting in community, kind of why they got into the biz, hot take over. <laughs> hey, I mean, We've is there anything call, there <laughs> we've got to call it into question you know because it's not changing it's not changing it's not changing we we have these we have these standards they were adopted by the state and they're not bullshit they're actually good like a lot of the times the standards are are garbage yeah. but ours right, are no, but this time, good. they're good this time good. they did it right it's the artistic <laughs> process it's they're like our artists do this artists do this whether they know it or not that's what i like to tell people mm -hmm. yeah. anyone that we consider an artist does every bit of the artistic process and didn't they just pass like legislation or something to reiterate like the importance of I mean it's slightly related but it's like right. it's like these are the things that are mandated by the state but then also like these are the things that we adopted and then they had to pass an additional thing recently just to be like just to remind you, you need the to arts are a like a, a, a integral part of what we're mandating it's so funny yeah 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 and we yeah, talk about we, we talk about funding and stuff but I think the next step is like some kind of rule that the government tells us, like tell schools, you will not be participating in sports-like events. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. football or whatever, but 
you will not be participating in tournament style music competitions <laughs> because that is what drives people. And if we could take those off the table, you got quiet again, but we can hear you just like pianissimo. You're bonking your microphone or something. I don't know. Can you it's hear me great. now? Yes. Okay. I need to go to the Apple store and get a new computer. Okay. All right. But, All um, right. I'm just saying like, what if this need for being competitive and all of that stuff was by the government or by the district taken off the table and we were forced into 25% for each of those pillars. Or the festivals because they are beloved and we don't want to lose our potential MST3K opportunity hustle. What if the they align? They festivals aligned themselves in a really dope way with the standards. That would be cool. It would be so cool, man. It would be so cool. And I am there for that, man. I am like, I am here to help you do that. <laughs> yeah, and that would be amazing. I mean, we, I will say, you know, so for that new theater, we had like, uh, we sponsored an award ceremony for high school students for many, many years. Yeah. Um, had to stop bringing thousands of kids into a single building for a screaming right. night of, of musical amazingness for, you know, a couple of years for reasons that I kind of forget at this point. But right, now right. we're in a position to kind of like before bringing it back, okay, well, what does this really, what do we really want this to look like? And so one of the things that we're trying to talk to teachers about right now is like, well, can there be a revision process? Is it just us sending like adjudicators over there to like say, you did this good, you did this bad. Can our thing actually in, in, involve that refine aspect or that right. how does, and also like community engagement, does this piece of theater that you're doing bring different departments, different community groups together in a way and making that one of the, you know, one of the areas that people are judged on not to like create more work for people but also be like that's actually what we value as a theater and like it would be great to see people doing more of that work It'll and it's kind of like maybe not transition. the best vehicle to get people to do the right thing mm -hmm. but also like i don't know maybe we pull on every every tool that we have no i mean yeah, I, I, I have always have i have always said like if the organizations that host these these events that are so revered such as the fifth avenue theater awards or I would venture to say the um, Paramount Hot Java Cool Jazz. Mm. Um, if, mm -hmm. if they were to, you know, really truly align the events with their mission and vision, which is right on, man. Um, and with the, the standards and being like doing some really courageous things like allowing the showing of growth mm. as part of the judging like mm -hmm. did did they um you know from point a to point b really do some amazing work in your revising and mm -hmm. rehearsing and all of the aspects of the performing and responding um strands mm -hmm. uh, and it's like it's like, man, if the organizations that are hosting the events were calling the shots like that, people would snap too. They would snap too. Because it's not creating more work. It's just taking 
some work and reallocating it. We're just going to do less of a different thing. Right. It's we're going to value. Okay. We're going to value learning and growth over you came Perfection. to us already perfect. Yeah. Or, yeah. You can play high, fast, and loud. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And you have a ballad, a blues, and a bossa. I don't know. What are the three things? Right. Or funk or something. Right. You gotta. Right. You or gotta is, have it, a is it ballad, blues, and ethnic or something like that? You gotta have a swinger. <laughs> you gotta have an other. It's actually referred to very often as other, other, which would be, you know, Latin or funk. It's the international aisle. <laughs> or really, really fast. And then a ballad. And uh, kind of the only one I really always want to hear as an adjudicator is a ballad because it's the time that I get to understand how the students think about other people. Space. <laughs> Space. yeah caring about your audience that's when i kind of know what's going on in that classroom but i think about things a little differently than most adjudicators uh yeah sometimes i get in trouble for it too really <laughs> <laughs> well it's all folks all of this like we're putting it out to the world like Let's do this. This is true courageous collaboration here. Let's do this. Let's make some of these courageous changes and see what we can do to change change music education and performing arts education. Yeah, I would I would just, you know, co-sign on the like if you have a nonprofit nearby and you kind of uh, appreciate what they do, reach out. You never know yes. because like reach if, out. at least if for us, we're always looking for ways to connect with the community. I mean, we do have like a vested, like capitalist interest in having an audience, right? And wanting our right. name out there. But, you know, but more importantly, in terms of mission and like, like wanting people to, to understand the craft of what we do, like that's really important to us um, in, in many ways. So like, I can't speak for all nonprofits, but you never know, you, may, you know, never know what, what they're trying to cook up on their end as well. Right. And, and where Reach your out. values are aligned. Yeah. And all three of us work at nonprofits where we are hit up for collaboration opportunities. Yes. And I know myself, if I don't have the bandwidth or if it's not on mission or something, I will always recommend someone else to reach out of course. to. Like, we know other people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And they know other people. You'll find somebody. Yeah, in in interesting ways. So, like, I if you ask me right now for other non-Western theater musical theater type groups in this area, I actually have that list. Right. Like, and it has like a Korean theater group on it, and it has like yeah. a Lao dance group on it. And so, if you're a music educator that's looking to incorporate other, you know, um, traditions into your your pedagogy, or even just like a special thing that you do unit, then then like. You, there are people that can help you and it may take a little googling but you can also like start with the nonprofits and see where they, they get you yes yes this is the type of partnership that classroom teachers need to know that they have access to and so if anyone's listening out there this is a light bulb moment <laughs> do a little search of the arts organizations in your community and do not be afraid to make the ask. Cook something cool up and then yeah. tell us about it. That's right. 
recap. Um, it's 504 friends. Happy hour is over, people. Happy hour is closed. It's regular price now, okay? Yeah. Nando <laughs> has an event. I yes. I put a tie on. Yes. Wait. It's the beginning yes. of our season. Yes. Yes. season today. Yeah. Well, you are our first guest of season three for the Beth Ooh. and Kelly show. What? what a great, this is a great I'm like the off. first post. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, I'm honored. How VIP are you? <laughs> Yeah. Very, well, very thank good. you again for having me this is for a blast. sure yeah and for i really sure. appreciate the work that y'all are doing i think that and the conversations that you're making space for i think it's amazing and i, I, just, I just i lift that up and i, I hope that everybody appreciates thank not you. only the work that you did in your previous lives but also like the change that you're trying to affect now i think that's amazing oh that feels nice that'll keep thank us you. going that'll keep yeah. us going <laughs> yeah happy friday to all of us hey. yeah. all right friends have a Check great weekend, later. everybody. Bye-bye. A million thanks to our listeners, followers, and subscribers. The support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product, and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access. We are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us, and we are delighted you've decided to join.